It is a pleasure to be with you as we are continuing in this Red Letter Challenge together. And uh, before we come once more before Jesus' words, I think it's right that we allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the journey that you have brought us on, this journey in which we've been looking at your words. And we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And so this morning, we ask that you would indeed give us soft hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, if you spend any amount of time with me, you're quickly going to find out in conversation that there are a couple of things that I particularly love. One of the things that I particularly love is I love movies. I've always loved movies. In fact, I loved movies so much it annoyed the heck out of my parents because not only could I watch movies, I can quote movies verbatim, usually after watching the movie only one or two times. And so any family get together, they'd be like, hey, Nick, what's going on in school? And I was just like, that doesn't matter. Let me tell you about this movie. And then I would go on and on and on about movies. And so if that's a subject, you know, if we're talking, you and I, and suddenly movies come up, I hope that you have a full cup of coffee and a comfortable place to sit because I'm going to tell you what the greatest movies are that are out right now. Other things that I enjoy is I love reading. This is something that I think I've passed on to my kids because usually if you can't find one of my children, it means that they're holed up somewhere with a book. That comes from daddy, okay? That was something that I did as a, as a kid is that if I had nothing else to do, I'd grab a book and I'd go into my room or find a comfy spot on the couch and I could read for hours. And again, if you ask me a question, Nick, what are you reading? I am going to tell you and it's probably not just about one book. It's probably about the three or four that I'm reading simultaneously. Okay, I just love to read. Third thing that I love talking about is my family and my kids. I mean, I, I love telling people what's going on in their lives. I love to brag on them, as any parent does. I just love uh, talking about my family. But, but why am I sharing all this with you anyways? I'm sharing this with you because the reality is I think we all have things that we really love to talk about. I bet you if I got in a conversation with you, there are certain subjects that would come up often if, as we got to know each other. That's because we love to talk about things that matter to us. We love to talk about those things that are particularly special in our lives, those things that we enjoy. We will talk about them constantly. You almost can't put like a time limit on it. You just don't get tired of talking about those things that matter to you. And this week, as we come to this word going, going with Jesus, being on mission with Jesus, I think that it's important to reflect on the fact that for many of us, we love talking about all kinds of things except when it comes to talking about our faith. For many Christians, that's the one area of their life, though it's important, though they say it's important to them, that it's often difficult for them to discuss, especially with other people who don't yet believe in Jesus. In fact, one of the most famous quotes that I often hear from fellow Christians when I ask them about like evangelism or sharing their faith with others is this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. In which St. Francis says, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. And oftentimes, that's what many Christians will tell me. They'll say, well, I, I do share the gospel, but I share the gospel in, in how I serve or in how I give. But when it comes to using my words and, and telling people about Jesus, that's just not something I'm really comfortable with. That's not my gift. But, but St. Francis said, you know, to preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Here's, but there's one problem with this quote. And that is that St. Francis never said this. Never. 
I mean, you ask any scholar of St. Francis and he will tell you there's no record that St. Francis ever used these words. There's no record that any of his followers or disciples used these words. There's no record that he ever preached these words in a sermon. In fact, St. Francis was a guy who loved preaching the gospel so much, he would preach to birds and animals if there weren't people around. Okay, he loved preaching the gospel. And I think that we need to really look at this word gospel for a second. Because the word gospel comes from a Greek word. It's actually a compound word. It's the words you and angelion, which actually means good news or a good announcement. The reason I share that is because the gospel by its very definition is news. And the only way you can really share news effectively is by using words. Whether printed words or words as we uh, hear the news delivered to us from our television screens, news is something that's meant to be reported. It's meant to be something announced. It's meant to be something that we use words in order to get out. And I think the reality is, is that there's far too many Christians these days who are afraid of using words to talk about the good news. I recently looked at a study that was done by Barna talking about current attitudes among America's various generations when it came to sharing your faith. And this is what they found. They said that millennials who are Christians, that's my generation, millennials who are Christians, 47% of them say that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Almost half of millennial Christians don't think that we should share our faith with other people. And that's something that's been increasing through the generations. Uh, 20% of elders say that we shouldn't share our faith. 19% of boomers say we shouldn't share our faith. 27% of Gen Xers say that we shouldn't share our faith. 47% of millennials. These are people who say that Jesus is the most important thing to them in their life. And in fact, 52% of born-again Christians who were surveyed said that they haven't shared their faith with a non-Christian in the past year. But there's another statistic that came out of this study that I think is really interesting. They found that on, among millennial non-Christians, these are non-Christians who are millennials, they are twice as likely to be open to the gospel as those of previous generations. It says that older non-Christians are only 16% open to somebody talking to them about Jesus and exploring the claims of Christianity, but 36% of millennial non-Christians are open to it. That's over a third. would say that if somebody said, hey, have you ever looked at the life of Jesus, studied the evidence for yourself, ever considered Christianity? A third of them would say, no, I haven't, but I, I'd love to. I'd be really interested in that. But here's the other thing that I found really fascinating. When they asked them, how would you prefer to learn? 53% of them said that we, I prefer to learn in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone who's a Christian. Not showing up to a church service, not going to some Christian event, not being sent a podcast or a YouTube video. No, I want to sit down, cross the table from somebody that I know who's a follower of Jesus, and I want to talk about it. You see, when I see those statistics side by side, what that leads me to believe is that we have a huge opportunity, and yet we're missing it. That over half of Christians, my generation, don't want to share the gospel, and yet their very generation of non-Christians is more open than any previous generation to looking at the claims of Jesus. We are missing an opportunity, and I think it's because we've forgotten a couple of things. We've forgotten, first and foremost, what it, what it takes to actually share the good news. 
what that actually looks like. The second thing we've forgotten is just how good the good news is. And so this morning, I want us to look at a story, a very famous story in Scripture. Because I believe in this story, we see those two things in action. We see, number one, how the good news is shared, and two, what makes the good news so good. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 5 with me. Mark chapter 5. If you uh, want to, you can use the Pew Bible uh, that's right in front of you. Now, if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can go ahead and take that Pew Bible. Let that be our gift to you this morning. We would love it if you had that so that you could study it along with us. So, so let that be our gift to you this morning. But we're looking at Mark chapter 5. This is a very famous story. story goes a little something like this to summarize. Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a region known as the Gerasenes. And when he's there, he gets out of the boat and suddenly a man comes running out to him. This man had been dwelling in the tombs. We learn a little bit, uh, some other things about this man. He's, he's clearly disturbed. He clearly has something going on. It says that at night he would cry out. That he's been ostracized from his community. That's part of the reason why he lives here among these tombs and, and out in the wilderness. But we also learn that this man has been injuring himself. It says that he would cut himself with rocks. And in the moment Jesus lands, he comes running out to Jesus. But then when he falls on his knees, he says something really interesting. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And suddenly we realize that there's something wrong, something much deeper is wrong with this man. That although his body cries out for healing with his words, he tells Jesus to get lost. And as Jesus talks with the man, it becomes quickly apparent that this man has a spiritual issue as well, that he is possessed not just by one demon, but by a whole legion of demons. Well, Jesus ends up casting out these demons. The demons end up going into this herd of pigs that's nearby, and the pigs run down the banks and, and into the sea and drown and die. Now, we could, unpack, we could spend like probably two or three messages just unpacking that section. There's a lot uh, to be said there. There's a lot of questions people have. But what I want to look at this morning is actually what we find at the end of the story. Notice what it says in verses 14 and following. It says that after this man had, after the demons had been cast out of this man, it says that the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. See, there's this man who obviously has a deep need. Jesus comes to him and he ends up providing for that need, casting out this demon, giving this man his, his mind back. It's an incredible, beautiful miracle. And yet, when the people hear about it, they're so freaked out, they tell Jesus to get lost. They tell him to leave. They see that the demons go into the pigs, they kill all these pigs, and they say, get out of here. Now, scholars have said, well, maybe it was because this was a, a largely pagan region, which was true. This was an area where mostly non-Jewish people lived. So, like, miracles, they would have no idea who Jesus is. They wouldn't have heard about a Messiah. And so this probably just, like, totally freaked them out. And you can kind of understand it, right? Something inexplicable took place, but they basically tell Jesus, you need to leave and don't ever come back. That's what they beg him. But what many people don't know about this portion of the story is that Jesus does eventually come back to this region. 
that if you were to read the Gospel of Mark a little bit further, what you realize is that this region of the Gerasenes is, is near an area known as the Decapolis. And it's later on in Mark's Gospel that Jesus comes back to the Decapolis. Specifically, he comes back in chapter 7. It says that Jesus returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looked up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. And the man's ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Do you see what's different between these two reactions? It's the same region. It's the same people. First time Jesus comes, they say, get out of here and don't come back. But the second time Jesus comes, what does he find? He finds crowds of people coming out to him and they're bringing their sick. They're bringing the deaf and the mute. They're bringing those who have these various infirmities so that they might be healed. But it gets even more amazing when you look at chapter 8. Because then huge crowds from this region start to follow Jesus. They want to listen to what Jesus has to say. And it's actually there in this totally pagan Gentile region that Jesus feeds 4,000 people. There is this incredible difference in this community from the time Jesus first came to when he comes back. And the question is, what made the difference? What was it that changed in this community? And the answer to that question is what we see at the end of that story in Mark chapter 5. Because it says, Jesus, uh, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. What made the difference in this community? One man's story. One man's story of what Jesus had meant, what Jesus means to him, what Jesus had done for him. At first, when he comes and he says, I want to get in the boat, I want to be your disciple, it's like, well, why wouldn't Jesus say yes to that? It's because Jesus knows the difference that this man can have. He says, I want you to go back and tell your friends, tell your community what the Lord has done for you. And so he goes throughout the whole region telling them so that when Jesus comes back, the whole region now comes out and they bring to Jesus those who have need. See, the first thing that we learn from this story is we learn what it takes to share the good news. It simply takes sharing what Jesus has done for us. That is it. It's simply sharing our story as we've learned to walk with Christ. That's it. It doesn't take us having a degree in theology or a master's of divinity or having taken special classes in apologetics. No, all it takes is you simply saying, this is what God means to me. This is what Jesus means to me. This is what he's done in my life. And God can take that and he can do a miracle. He can reach entire communities with that good news. See, that's a beautiful thing about sharing our faith. It's when our story and their story intersect with God's story. 
When our story and their story intersects with God's story, when we sit down one-on-one across the table with people we already know, and they ask us the question, what does Jesus mean to you? And we simply say, this is what he means. Because even people who initially would tell Jesus to get lost and say, I don't care, when they hear the difference he's made in our lives, suddenly ears are opened. Because at the end of the day, after every excuse, after after every objection, the main thing people want to know is what difference does Jesus make in my life? And the way that God wants to tell them is through you and through me. He says, simply tell them what I've done for you. Go back to your friends. Go back to your family. Go back to your community and tell them the difference. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. That's it. It's as simple as that. See, I think that we psych ourselves out because we think that we need to know all this stuff before we can ever tell people. But Jesus says, all you need to know is the difference that I've made for you. How have I given you purpose and meaning? How have I brought you wholeness and healing? How have I given you mercy and grace and provided for you? What is it like walking with me and doing daily life with me? Jesus says, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to share. And watch how I can do the rest. I think the other reason we psych ourselves out is because we've honestly forgotten what Jesus has done for us. We haven't sat back to take time and really consider what difference has Jesus made in my life. It's part of the reason why whenever you read the Bible, it tells us to give thanks to the Lord. People often say, well, why? Why do we need to give thanks to God? Does he need it? No, but you do. And so do I. Because when we give thanks to God that we remember what he's done for us. And part of the invitation from this passage, from this story, is that we need to remember what Jesus has done for us, to give him thanks, because that's going to enable us to share the difference that that's made with people around us who are asking, people around us who are seeking, people around us who are lost and don't know. That's the beauty and the power of, of sharing our faith, but there's something else that we learn in this passage, and that is we learn just how good the good news actually is. We learn how beautiful the, what Christ has done for us truly is. I mean, have you ever slowed down and really looked at this story in slow motion? Look at all the transformation and change that happens in this man's life. This was a man who was dwelling among the tombs amidst death and who is now brought to life. This is a man, this is a man who is broken and made whole. This was a man who was bound in slavery to darkness and set free. This was a man who was oppressed by the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. A man who was alone and welcomed back into and restored to community. See, oftentimes I think we sell the good news short. We say things like, well, it's that Jesus is my savior, or that God forgives me all my sins. That is true, and that is good news, but that's not all it is. The good news is so much more than that. The forgiveness of sins is just the beginning. The good news is that God desires to move us from death to life. He wants to set us free from those things that enslave us. He wants to bring wholeness where there is brokenness. He wants to bring us into the kingdom of light and life. He wants to restore us to community by adopting us into his own family, calling us his sons and daughters. 
The good news is good news because you can't simply sum it up with one phrase. It's something that changes your entire life. It transforms everything about how we live and approach this world. One of the best things that I think anybody who's seriously reading the Bible can do is to go through Scripture and write down how people describe the difference that Jesus makes in their lives. Because what you will find is very, very quickly your paper is full because the good news is too large to be encapsulated by simply one image, by simply one short sentence. It is about life and light, and freedom, and wholeness, forgiveness, and healing, and eternity, and hope, and promise, and justice, and restoration. It is all of these things and so much more. And we get a snapshot of it in this short story, just how good the good news is. What difference has Jesus made in your life? How has he brought you wholeness? How has he given you mercy? How has he given you purpose and peace and hope and joy? How has he enabled you to extend forgiveness when forgiveness seems impossible, to serve when the need seems so great, to give sacrificially in a world of scarcity? What difference has Jesus made to you? Jesus says the good news is too good to keep to ourselves. That's the reason he tells his disciples to go and make disciples. To baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To teach them everything Jesus has commanded us. And his promise is, I will go with you always. Because again, that's exactly what we see in chapter 5. That this man who in the midst of death, Jesus enters into the place of death to set him free. This man who's oppressed by demons, Jesus faces the darkness and endures it. To set him loose. Jesus enters into a broken world and becomes broken so that we might be made whole. Ultimately, Jesus goes and dies for us that we might live and rises again to say, See, I have overcome the powers of evil and wickedness and darkness in this world. And I have set you free. That's how good the good news is, and it is a joy when we get to share that with other people. When we can see what God can do when we simply share the difference Jesus has made in our lives. One of my favorite stories of this came when I was uh, working in student ministry at UIC. Every Wednesday night, we would have a little uh, worship service for our, for our students on campus, and we would often bring in pastors from other churches around uh, the campus to come and speak to our kids. And we always ask those pastors, you know, maybe show up like 45 minutes early so that we could do a mic check and make sure you have everything you need, run through kind of the order of the night. And so this one particular Wednesday night, uh, it's uh, 45 minutes to 7 o'clock, and the pastor's not there. But we're like, all right, you know, maybe got caught in traffic, no big deal. So then it's 30 minutes before the start of worship, still no pastor. 15 minutes before the start of worship, now my students are really freaking out. They're like, where's our speaker for tonight? So I'm like texting him, trying to figure out what's going on. Five minutes to the start of the service, I get a text message back. I forgot. I'm sorry. I, I can't, I won't be able to make it. I'm, I'm with my family. Now my students are losing their minds. They're just like, this ruins everything. We're not going to have a speaker. What are we going to do? And I'm just like, relax. All right, everybody. Let's huddle up. Take a deep breath. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. 
And you guys go and you do your opening worship set. And uh, what was he going to preach on? They're like, John 15, you know, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branch. He's like, all right, here's, here's what we'll do. We'll pray. You guys do your opening worship set. I'll take a look at John 15 and, and I'll come up and I'll, I'll share, you know, what kind of God has to say from that passage. Sound cool? And they're just like, yeah, awesome, cool. So they pray and they go up there. They start doing their opening worship set. They're all calm. I go to the back of the room into a corner to freak out. That's basically what I'm doing. It's just like, what am I going to say? So I'm reading John 15 as fast as I can. And finally, opening worship wraps up. And they're just like, well, Pastor Nick, uh, no, well, I wasn't pastor then. They're just like, yeah, Nick, Nick is going to get up. He's going to share a couple thoughts uh, from John 15. So I got up and I ended up sharing simply what that passage means to me. What life has been like since I've come to see that Jesus truly is my vine. That he provides me with meaning and purpose that he supports and encourages me, that he can carry me through any season, and, and that his desire is that I and they would go and bear fruit. Fruit that we can share. I got to the end of that message, and they came back up to do their closing worship set, and I, as I kind of came off the stage, one of my students ran up to me and grabs my arm and says, you've got to get back here. And I go to, they pull me to the back of the room, back to that corner where I was freaking out previously, and there's another student waiting for me. She introduces herself and she says, you know, since school has started, uh, friends on my floor have been inviting me to come here. And I've always said, no, not interested in that. But for some reason tonight, I felt like I had to come. And I listen, as I listen to you share what Jesus means to you, I realize that's what I've always wanted. I want that kind of life. I want to know the Jesus that you're talking about. I want to understand what it means to walk with him. And that night she prayed and she gave her life to Christ. She went on to become one of the best leaders in our campus ministry. She's continuing to walk with the Lord this day, serving in her church. That's what happens when you simply share your story. You get to see new life take place before your very eyes. See people get, be set free. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing when we go with Jesus. That's really what this week is all about as you walk through the Red Letter Challenge is learning what that mean, word going means. Spending some time and reflecting on what has Jesus done for you and then being willing to go out and share that good news with those around you. To walk with Jesus out into a world that is broken, a world of darkness, a world where people are hurting and ashamed and alone and to proclaim to them good news that in God there is life, there's light, there's healing, wholeness, love, and forgiveness. That's what it means to go with Jesus. It's what it means to take seriously his words, to go. Tell your friends and family what the Lord has done for you because it's through that that the good news is truly proclaimed. It's in the name of Jesus who makes all the difference in the world that we say, Amen.